Hello, Jack. Hello, Andy. How are you? Very well. Now, we need to do a disclaimer, don't we? We do, yeah. Because you are hopefully listening to this, but we... I don't know how to explain this. Well, <laughs> we normally at the beginning of each episode do a little, oh, how have, you, how have you been, Jack? How have you been, Andy? What have you been up to? But this time we're recording two episodes on the same day, so then nothing Ooh. has changed. Yeah. So the answer to the question is exactly the same. So when, at the time of listening, Jack and I will have done an episode of Closer Each Day, but we can't really speculate on whether it was good or not because we haven't done it yet, but it will have happened. Yeah, well, you'd like hope it would be good, but we can't tell you about the content because... It's, well, because it's improvised. Yeah. Because it hasn't happened. So when it does happen, it should be good. Yeah. So that's what we've been up to. <laughs> How extraordinary. <laughs> well, I'm delighted to say that on this episode of Bristol Prologue, Jack and I are joined by Alison Campbell, actor. Ooh. Hello, Ali. Hello. How, How are, are you? you? I'm very well, Andy. How are you? Yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah, really good. Really happy to be back here doing this podcast. It's been a little while, but it's it's great to have uh, someone that we know very well, but also has many hidden talents, I think, or strings to your bow that we're going to find out all about. Yeah, don't let everyone know the hidden talents. Not the those, hidden talents. Those they are broadcastable. Remain deeply hidden. Um, but Ali, so let's let's just go right back to begin with, and if you can sort of recall the first instances of when you thought I want to be a performer and how that manifested. Yeah, well, I spent most of my childhood years wearing strange clothes out of the dressing up box. Right. We had um, we had some very elderly aunties um, who had a lot of money. Uh, but no fulfilment in life. <laughs> so they went on a lot of cruises and then gave us all the phenomenal dresses they wore. So we'd just swan about in those. But um, I think the first time I really got into performing was in uh, Norton St. Philip Village Hall uh, with the local Amdram Society <laughs> uh, playing Annie when I was about nine wow and were you coerced or was it like let me adam i want to do this they had to drag me off the stage <laughs> there was a dog as well right yeah an actual dog so they worked with children and animals yeah at the same time <laughs> so it was an so in other words it's been a long you've it's all, been a long time you wanted to do it since yeah. you were very young yes it was either i wanted to be an archaeologist or an actor right so fulfilled one of those so if you've got any fossils luckily the world know. of acting got you and archaeology didn't i could still dabble yeah yeah well the ideal play and play an archaeologist oh. in something are you offering to write something i'm not offering to I'm, maybe you should i'm guaranteeing it. <laughs> 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 um so okay so from a young age then mm -hmm. basically you, yeah. you and you were set that was what you wanted to do or you thought this might be interesting well no i was i got the theater bug pretty badly yeah, yeah. so um it wasn't just acting, though. I just loved anything theatre related. So when I was a teenager, I learned all the backstage stuff. So I learned stage management and lighting and sound. And my school used to pay me to light their plays. Um, and uh, was a member of the, because I grew up locally, of the um, Bath Theatre Royal YPT, yeah. but on their backstage uh, group. So right. stage managed shows in the main house there. And just wanted to know how every bit of theatre worked because it gave me a greater appreciation of everything that goes into it. Yeah. Um, which is handy just on the acting front as well. Absolutely, you, yeah. You just appreciate it more, I think. So yeah. super interested, kind of, that's amazing, dedication. Total and... geek. <laughs> so who were some of the like people that you met early on that had a big influence on you throughout that time? 
Oh, um, so actually it was the so director Lee Lyford ran the youth theatre then um, and he's now doing some great shows. And so I think kind of his visions kind of fed into it as well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there was also a lady called Mrs. Trevithick. Right. Um, who taught me drama at school um, and just saw something in me and we've remained good friends for a long time. And uh, she's been a big supporter, but just her whole hardworking kind of ethos was really inspiring. She was a good one. Yeah. yeah. So where did you go after youth theatre and after, so after school? So after youth theatre and school, um, I went up to a place called Breton Hall, um, which is up near Wakefield, near Leeds, um, and sadly doesn't exist anymore. It died a death. It was kind of the northern Dartington, right. that kind of str- slightly strange, surreal, weirdos kind of place. <laughs> um it's, uh, it was in a mansion um, in Yorkshire Sculpture Park. So lots of kind of Antony Gormley sculptures and Barbara Hepworth vagina sculptures and <laughs> just kind of swan around like, yeah, we're so arty, look yeah. at us. But um, while I was there, it was actually the end of Bretton Hall. So that got engulfed by the University of Leeds. Right. So we moved over there. And what did you study? So it was theatre and performance. Oh. Um, so partly acting, partly dramaturgy partly applied theatre so um facilitating workshops and taking theatre into communities as well so a little mixy of all the lot so what did you what did you learn about yourself while you were studying at Bretton Hall uh I learned that um I really like beer (laughs) uh and that uh surroundings really have an impact on devising when devising theatre Mm -hmm. because when we moved from this beautiful mansion and uh working in kind of faded grandeur of old ballrooms all the ideas were just flowing out of people then once moving to I think we moved to the man-made fibres building on Leeds University campus and everyone just literally hit that brick wall um and found it a lot harder to come up with things which was interesting yeah. So space is important. Has I that think. carried Light. on? Have you carried that on since? since yeah, you, I know? think so. The the spaces I work in best, especially for devising, have always got a lot of windows and a bright and light, and you can just see out. Don't know why that is. Maybe that's just a me thing. Yeah. But um, no, that is something that stayed. So Ali, you've worked uh, quite a lot with the Natural Theatre Company. Can for those of us that uh, that don't know uh, who they are, can you tell us a bit about them? So Natural Theatre Company are a, well, they're a company that's been going for 50 years and they started off as an interactive theatre and live art company. Right. Uh, And they've now become this entity with a huge number of branches off them. So they do, um, we do street theatre, we do uh, site-specific theatre, we do promenade performance performance. And that's from character interaction to whole devised shows. Uh, We do a lot of community engagement. So working and collaborating with directors from all over the world, uh, with community groups. Um, But the style is very much surreal, character-based visual comedy. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, what so, are some of the great? What are some of the good good experiences you've had with the Naturals? What can you share us share with us? Some so, memories. Yes, I think um, one of my favourites last year was we did um, a show on the SS Great Britain, so a promenade um, of a new Shakespeare that 
was called Shakespeare Undone, the premise being that Brunel, being a big lover of Shakespeare, uh, had acquired all this Shakespeare memorabilia and he'd um, they found uh, an unpublished play of Shakespeare's in the hull of the SS Great Britain where he'd forgotten he put it. Um, so we cut up a whole load of different Shakespeare texts and uh, which was very beautifully woven together by um, Bryn Holding and Andy Burden, both very experienced Shakespeare directors, mm. um, to make a new show. Uh, and it was just it worked really well and it was hilarious. And these characters kind of dip in and out of uh, the the text from the script and interaction to take people around. Um, it was during the heat wave. So we were on the SS Great Britain in Elizabethan full quilted costumes yeah. in 32 degree heat. Oh my gosh, yeah. Which was, I didn't know that the insides of your eyelids could sweat. <laughs> but I know that now. So uh, the work, when, when you talk about the work with the naturals, I think it yeah. would scares a lot of people to death, the, the <laughs> stuff that you do. Not just performers, but like anyone thinking, yeah. I couldn't do that because you're in front of all those people and it's very live. It's all, it's all yeah, it's a lot of improv. It's very yeah. rare that we have a script that we learn. So um, how, how did you as a performer grow into doing that work? it's like a lot of things the more you do it the easier it is so as you find with improv I'm sure the more you yeah the the easier all the words come and all the ideas did you find it very daunting the first day on the job of course because it's but I I love challenging myself so if I'm nervous of doing something and it makes me uncomfortable um I'm gonna make damn sure that I do do it yeah um so I was totally bricking it because you've you you don't know what it's going to be like so you can't really prepare yourself mm. but then very quickly you learn that oh if that little bit didn't go as well as i hoped i've moved on i'm on to the next one yeah, so yeah. i'll use what i've learned from that to move on um and so you very quickly find your own style and interpretation of characters and yeah. like with any improv you have certain types that you go back and revisit yeah, a lot yeah, or, yeah. but um no you you learn very quickly um and the more comfortable you are, the better it, it is, yeah, really. Yeah, of course, because the, the audiences you, can smell, funnier you smell are. your fear, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how does that work fed into the other, other practices that you have then, whether, you know, a, a script, scripted play, for example? Can you, what, can, you, can you apply what you've learned from doing the work with the naturals to, you know, yeah, to a more conventional... Certainly, I mean, um, so the last show I did at the wardrobe theatre which it was a kids show but uh there's elements of interaction with the audience and those just so comfortable with it that it's that was one of the least daunting bits of the show whereas before that would have terrified me right um so shows like that um but equally because you have to read audiences and understand audiences. If you're just doing a straight play, you can tell who's not on board mm. or you can try little bits and you can just tell what's working or what's not. I think you just really zone in on, on how an audience is feeling um, and can play up or down to that a bit. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I guess you get that from being in that, being exposed to that risk of... Uh, yeah. Live audiences and yeah. rainy days and hot sunshine and whatever. And yes, and it. I think it makes you capable. more playful as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in rehearsals too, you bring very much a, a playfulness mm. that um, I don't think was as prevalent before yeah. doing all that stuff. Yeah. 
You got any questions, Jack? You've been very. Uh... I was just going to say the is is the work if it's promenade and you're moving around. Yeah. Is it how sort of story led do, do those shows become, or do they are they sort of more experiential for the audience, or how does it how does it work? What kind of different things have you done with that? So yeah, it it varies very much on the show um, and on the constraints of of the space you're in. Um, so, for instance, the SSA Great Britain actually lends itself to quite a lot of the narrative storytelling aspects of it because you know the audience is always going to be positioned in a way where they can see everything going on, they can really hear what's going on and really follow um, the little details of the story. Uh, If you're out in the middle of a city, so we do a a kind of spoof Austin um, called Austin Undone, you know, bit of a theme with the titles there. Um, so we've done that across whole cities. So that's literally running through the centre of Bath and, or the centre of Winchester, jumping out of bushes and all sorts. <laughs> um, in spaces like that, you've got a lot more to deal with. So other people, traffic noise, stuff going on, bigger groups. Um, so the stories tend to be simpler and the narrative simpler in those ones because you know detail will be lost in those scenarios. So it's more about having striking visual moments, like a a parasol duel uh, in the middle of the Royal Crescent um, or people running across a field. So so the story is simpler, but yeah, it's it's an experience for them as well. And I think that is a sacrifice you have to balance uh, depending on on the space where you are. Another process, another question is about process. Mm. Do those are those shows, how collaboratively created are they? And there's obviously an element of kind of uh, your input moment to moment in that improvised kind of decision making. But the the structure of those shows, how does how does that work? So we've kind of refined it over the last few years. Um, So it's often uh, similar performers working on these projects that work on the other ones. Um, And it tends to start with uh, the limitations of the route or the space. Um, And then uh, a a very collaborative devising process at first for uh, the overall story. Um, And then uh, because of the nature of these promenades, you kind of hand from one character over to another one. Um, the individual performers playing those characters, once they know the overall arc of their bit, we go away and devise what that bit will be. We then bring it all together and refine it so the narrative thread works and it flows. Um, And then you've got um, the skeleton of the script to improvise around. So it's, it's, yeah, a mix of very collaborative working and then going away and then coming back together And uh, we do work under Andy Burden as a director who makes sure that it does all come together. And he's a very, he's a very inspiring director, full stop. He's very good at bringing out the best in each performer and making you feel ownership over it, even if he's making the final decisions. Hmm. Cool. There you go, a bit of an insight there. (laughs) Well, uh, one more question before we take a, a quick break. Um, Obviously, I know you pretty well, Ali, and I think um, 
a lot of actors, you know, they say, oh, they're comfortable on the stage or they're comfortable mm. on camera. And, and you, probably more than anyone that I know, seem to work across all kinds of different <laughs> platforms, you know, stage, street theatre, film, audio, corporate work. Do you get the same buzz from everything that you do in a different way? And, and how, just as a practical thing, how have you been able to get so accomplished in all those different areas? So oh, two-part question. Yes. Okay, part one. Um, so do I get the same buzz from all of those? I think by very merit of, of what they are, you get a different buzz from them. Like the live energy you get off an audience will always be my favourite thing. Right. Um, I think. But then with audio stuff, uh, I don't know whether you find this with audiobooks, but being able to dip into so many different characters mm. and try out different stories and really explore an enormous range of people that you, mm. you wouldn't be able to characterize otherwise is really fun. Mm. Um, and filming, being able to revisit how you do a certain performance and I hope Get it will change it. Goes. Yeah, well, not is, or not, yeah, but, but <laughs> three, three, <goes. laughs> do it in one. Maybe. Um, is also uh, very enjoyable, but I think um, I really prefer live stuff. Right. And actually that sweet spot with improvised things where everything is flowing and the audience is on your side and mm. you don't really know where it's coming from and you're just gelling with your other, other performers. That's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. So then how, as to any sort of actors out there, mm. what's the what's the secret? Is it just, I mean, well, let, maybe, let me not give you the answer. What do you, no, what do you well, think No, well, it's is? no secret. I've, I mean, the amount of people I've passed details on to and yeah. supported them in trying to get audio work or this or that or the other, you've just got to put yourself out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is a lot of emails. It's a lot of cups of tea. It's a <laughs> lot of asking people as well, being... Mm just being very upfront so asking people oh mm. how did you get into that or how did you do that job and just making sure you do those jobs well and you're punctual and reliable yeah, and yeah. people remember you for that yeah. and then um just and then you get recommended for things but you just the more you put yourself out there the more comes back to you but it, it, there's no magic no formula magic it's formula. not easy yeah. you just gotta go for it yeah yeah there you go, Jack. Now yeah. we know where we're going wrong. <laughs> we need to go for it. We need to go for asking it. people questions all the time. Do always bring people donuts. Don't, yeah. Then we they like say you. Ali has brought us donuts, <laughs> which in no way is influencing the quality of the questioning. Uh, okay, well, should we take a little break? Yes, and let's. we'll come back after the break with more from Ali Campbell. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Bristol Prologue. Hamlet in a car park. Titus yeah. in a in a laundrette. Yeah, um, I mean, these great, all, but... sound like album titles to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think it's just maybe as an artist, you know, yeah, that's what you're always searching for is why you're doing what you're doing yeah, yeah. and what yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> I do remember the Dandy Warhols not being able to get back in the studio because of a Randy Swan. <laughs> <laughs> for all previous episodes, head to BristolProlog.com. Plus, you can now follow us on iTunes or via your podcast provider. Welcome back to Bristol Prologue. We're joined by Alison Campbell. Hello, Ali. Hi, Andy. You all right, Jack, over there with your buttons? I am, indeed. Great. He's pressing buttons as we speak. Not just pressing buttons. He is tickling the microphone with his nose. (laughs) It tickles me back as well because it's quite furry. Terrifying insight into the world (laughs) of the studio. So, Ali... um, (laughs) 
in the first part of the show, <laughs> we were talking about, we talked about all the, the various things that you work on, and I'm interested in the audio side of things, because how many audiobooks have you done now? I did my 41st yesterday. 41 audiobooks, and this yeah. is in, within like three years or something. Something like that, about three and a half quite years. a pretty prolific hit rate. I've done a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how do you approach an audiobook? Uh, I find it helps to talk out loud when reading. That's a that's a big tip for it. Uh, no, it's um, I don't know. You read you read the book, you mark it up like a script. Uh, you come up with character voices, and then you go in and put all that out into and the down world. the microphone. Yeah. But what are the unique things about an audiobook that separates it from approaching? You know, a theatre script. Are there any? What are the distinct challenges? So you can't go deeply into each character's motivations because you would be there for the rest of the year. Because right. some, I mean, some books have got what like a hundred characters mm-hmm. in. Uh, so you you need to get a flavour of each character um, and come up with a unique voice for them or a generic voice for them, which sometimes happens after character sixty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then. Because you're doing the narration as well, basically. It's it's almost like a really long monologue. Uh, which, well, no, not really like a monologue. It's just, it would be really long if you were doing that on a, on a theatre stage. So it's good that you, you don't have to learn any of it. You've mm-hmm. got everything in front of you. Loads of notes to help you out. But, so you're um, a note maker. I you, am a you note maker. A of, do a lot of prep and... Oh, yeah. I've got a special book, Andy. Right. Yeah. So what goes into the special book? Special book. Share share the secrets. It's not just a book. I've got a special (laughs) pen. Right. It's one of those Bic, like, four-colour pens. Yeah. 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 So it's all... So as I I read a book um, to prep, I uh, make notes of all the characters that appear and any character descriptions about them. So then you've got a cast list. And then uh, I do notes of how long each chapter is, which characters are in each chapter and a summary of the chapter so that when I'm in there, I can quickly look down and go, right, there's like six murders in this one. We're going to have to make it quite dark and sinister and pace through it. Um, so you can just refer to it quickly, basically, get a summary of the whole thing. And have, how- you, have you done that since for book number one or have you learnt that over time? No, I've learnt that over time because book number one, you suddenly go, wait a minute, I wasn't... <laughs> Was Gary in chapter one? <laughs> and did I make him Geordie? Yeah. Oh, no. What have I done? Um, so it's, yeah, it's good to be able to refer back to something. And it's like everything. You, you find your own way of doing it and you refine it over time. And do you record samples for your characters as I well? I do, yeah. yes. Uh, you always sound different in your head mm. to how you do out loud. So it's mm-hmm. good just to get a sense of how it sounds anyway. Um, some authors like to hear samples of characters, so you have to anyway. But I find it very helpful to, uh, especially when you're practising accents as well, mm. you just, your voice stops being your voice. It mm. becomes a tool. So you just kind of sit back and look at it and listen mm. to it differently. Mm. Do you record character samples? I do, yeah. Do I do samples and then I will listen to them the morning of or the night before mm. a, a session if I know I've got those characters coming up just to try and get them in there but then I usually hear them just before the chapter when yeah. I'm actually in the booth as well I'll, I'll ask our good friend Aaron can, can you play me a bit of whoever it is yeah. so I can remember what they sound like what was your what was your favorite character or, or the character you hated most 
What was your favourite voice? Favourite character I've done was in a, was in a sort of political, uh, political uh, crime mm. mystery detective story when I did a character called Norm, who was a, who was a detective. And I made it all like this. Whoa, wait a second, boys. Hang on. Because he was sort of described that way and it just sort of felt right. But I always also have fun with the, with the caricature characters, yeah, you know, the side fun. characters, especially villains. So I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I think I did a sort of priest character who was a bit shifty in that same book. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it, it, is, it is great. I like the, the big fat old men characters. <laughs> yeah. I had one where the character description was spoke like a frog. Right. So just fine. Yeah. Ways to bring Which is really fun. Oh, God. Close your eyes at home, listeners. Yeah. Imagine well, there the is frog. a lot of spit that uh, hits the old iPad screen yeah. when you're doing voices like that. Because right? authors are usually pretty generous with how they describe. They're, all the information is there, right, in mm. the book, largely, but sometimes it isn't. So, how do you create characters when you've got little to go on? Well, it, like you say, there's hints of it, even if it's not explicit explanation. There's normally hints. And uh, where we both do a lot of audiobooks, um, Audio Factory, they uh, they work quite closely with the authors mm. and get notes from the authors, which doesn't always happen. Mm. Um, so that's a kind of collaborative approach, I suppose, yeah. I suppose, which helps you understand them. Otherwise, it's how do you make decisions about characters yeah. in any yeah. situation? Yeah. You kind of look at what's there and then gut feeling goes with it as well. Um, the most annoying ones are where you get to the final chapter and on the last page, the main character that you've had a really set idea for the whole time, um, you know, it'll say, says in a thick Scouse accent and you're like, <laughs> no! Damn yeah, it. yeah. Because yeah. it's a weird, weird thing, isn't it? Because you you'll do an audition with a, with a sample from the script. Yeah. So you make decisions about them then, and then when you come to read the whole thing, you know those decisions they might not be right or whatever, and then you're all entirely wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's normally mine. They're all. Yeah. So what are the big really challenges different. when it comes to doing audio? You know, from from preparation to actual recording and and so on. Well, it depends on the book. Um, so. I did a I did a non-fiction, I did a science book about space, which was really fascinating, but it had so many scientific terms and Russian names for like comets and spaceships yeah. that on every page you had to look up like 10 oh, different things to yeah, check yeah. pronunciation. Yeah. And uh, I think I still only got about half of them right. <laughs> so that, that can be very lengthy. Um, so what other... Well, ha- I've got a quick question yeah. on the process. And then I'll, I'll have another one unless it's the same of story. the three of us. I've never done an audiobook. How does the process work? Like when you're recording, mm. is it just you and the audio engineer, or is there somebody else, or is there the author, or who's in the room with you? So it's normally you in a little voice booth, um, and then the producer slash engineer um, on the other side of the glass. It's very rare that an author comes in, uh, which is very good because it's very off-putting yes. if they yeah. do i've had it once and everyone was just on edge the whole day yeah. um so it's normally just two of you um and does so that i suppose that means you have quite a lot of creative control of how that that works you're kind of the director and the 
you know, the yeah. accent, you're doing all the things. So the, the producer role, um, that encompasses the direction as well. So uh, they will stop you and ask you to go back a few lines if they feel delivery was off or it wasn't the right emotion or if the pace was off or if the accent slipped. So uh, they, they work as a director role. So the, the producer is uh, kind of director and engineer, so right, technical cool. and uh, performance-related stuff. Wow. Now, um, speaking from experience, I think that even if you haven't done it, people can imagine that it, that it is can be a difficult process mentally because it requires a lot of concentration. It can be quite difficult to relax into it, I think. So how, how, have you, how do you find that? And have you developed a method of staying in the zone without completely knackering yourself out? You're going to hate me. Right. I just find it really easy. You just find it really <laughs> easy. There you go. But, well, you know, that's a perfectly valid... I, Answer. Yeah, I'm a very fluent sight reader. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a very clean reader, yeah. which helps. Uh, and again, it depends on the book. If it's mm. a good book and you're caught up in the plot and you're caught up in the characters, it just rolls out mm. of you. Um, the the only time I really struggled, I then discovered I needed glasses. Right. So that was quite hard yeah. in the uh, in the six months before I I discovered I was long sighted and was right. trying to look at a screen up against my face. Uh, okay. Uh, I just everything was going wrong and it was very frustrating. I must admit, it's it's difficult when the writing maybe isn't as good. But when it's well written, it is it, it does flow very easily, doesn't it? And you get yeah. into it. But also with the amount of practice that you've had, I guess yeah. it now does just feel like second nature. Yeah, and it's... It yeah, I suppose it is. Um, I mean, it's always a, a new challenge if it's a different style, mm. a different genre, mm. and learning the kind of individual rules of that. Mm. But uh, we've both done a, we've done the same book recently. We have a dual narration. Oof, yeah, yeah. Shared credit on yeah. fantasy, which is really fun mm. because you can be, I tend to be too theatrical and probably just hammy half the time because I get really excited and into it and my hands are flailing all over the place doing the characters mm. and uh, fantasy is one genre where you don't really have to rein that back in yeah, yeah. you can be in as weird and wonderful and over the top as yeah. you want to be yeah. um so and children's book I've, books I've just started doing as well and again you can just be quite over the top with the characterizations yeah. if you're if you're voicing a monkey that they the character notes they want this monkey to sound like Rob Brydon. Yeah. That's great. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fun. So you find it easy. That's what we can take Sorry. home from. So <laughs> if, if audiobooks are, you've got a natural affinity for, um, you've obviously got a natural affinity for, for all the kinds of performance that you do, but where have you found real challenges or something that was mm. really difficult and, and not so easy to, to get into? Yeah, so because I don't come from a music background, things that... Um, involve kind of rhythms or songs or learning things to music takes me a lot longer mm. um so for the kids show i did in october i had to learn this weird poem rap um and uh it was all set to a very specific beat written to written for it and the big climax of it was this big noise and meteors flying everywhere and i just got a total block on being able to remember the words right. uh, in the rehearsal room. And it was one of those that is just incredibly frustrating. You sit down by yourself and you can run through it backwards 10 times. You get up and try and do it and yeah. you just, it, your brain freezes. And how do, you, how do you cope with that then as a performer? So I was working with Tom. Um, so he's from a band called 
Babyhead and has now started doing theatre shows. And he was really, really helpful um, and taught me to approach things more from the kind of musician's way of you make a mistake, you carry on. Um, I think sometimes as performers we can kick ourselves when we don't get it bang on mm. that first take you mm. know if you don't get it in the first take what's the point so um he taught me that it's okay to make mistakes and if if you just relax into it let the mistakes happen try it again mm. then you won't put this pressure big pressure and this mm. block on yourself to get it bang on have you got any thoughts on that subject jack as, a, as someone who yeah. works in music and theater very closely yeah i suppose i my background in music is sort of jazz and improvisation and that whole world is like if you've done a mistake it's because it's an expression of your yeah. thing and you lean into it yeah, and make yeah. it make it right yeah um because there is no such thing as a like a bum note in yeah. jazz you just make it into the note it was supposed to be oh that's a philosophy on Something life to take isn't forward. it Ooh. um can i ask you about it was Jane Eyre, right? Jane yeah. Eyre, the massive, epic, one-woman, 400-page script, yeah. whatever it was, Jane Eyre experience. I did a one-woman Jane that. Eyre, yes. So that was quite a few years ago now. But um, So toured it uh, with a couple of different theatre companies uh, by itself and as part of a wider Bronte uh, season. So it was an hour and seven minutes of me and a stage uh, <laughs> becoming every character in Jane Eyre. Wow. Um, so that was the biggest feat of learning yeah. I've ever done. And again, it's one of those questions as an actor, people go, oh my gosh, how did you learn all that? Yeah. Hard work. <laughs> yeah, There's yeah. no repetition, repetition, repetition. Yeah. There's no secret. You just have to keep hammering it until it's in there. Um, but... It, it was really fun. It was, again, one of the most daunting things at the time that I'd ever done. Uh, and the fear of drying on stage. There's no one else there to fall mm. back on. It's harder to kind of improvise your way out of it because it's quite a... There's a very certain rhythm to, to the language of mm. it for the for the adaptation. But um, once I'd settled into it, it was just a joy to do. And so... Uh, at one point, we were touring it with uh, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall that yeah. was directed by Shane Morgan um, and Wuthering Heights as well, uh, which was a two-hander. So I was doing Jane Eyre, one-woman show, and Wuthering Heights as a two-hander. <laughs> and I'd do Jane Eyre, then I'd have half an hour to go lie down, eat a banana and cry into the floor <laughs> and then get back on stage and do the two-hander of Wuthering Heights. <sighs> so we would, yeah, we'd tour the both, both simultaneously. But... Um, once, yeah. once you've done that, though, the self-confidence that you get, he's yeah. like, I can handle pretty much anything now True. Right, with a script. <laughs> you, I've done that. that That's you, your benchmark exactly. from then on. Um, and also with that one, we, we got to go to some really lovely places. Like Arnos Vale Cemetery is a beautiful place to perform. Um, and one of my most hilarious moments from that show was there because they didn't have a dressing room and I was in full Victorian costume <laughs> and desperate for a wee <laughs> and I'd got changed in a crypt underneath right. so I'd, I snuck out and found a drain to wee down and just made eye contact with a dog walker <laughs> who thought they saw a pissing ghost <laughs> <laughs> glamorous really glamorous that Secrets was one of my high trade. points oh yeah great <laughs> well, I think we're pretty much running out of time, aren't we? Yeah. But we have to include the obligatory quick fire question <sighs> round. So we need to create some kind of live music for that. 
some kind of drum beat. But that's what I'm afraid of. And it's now got some vocals. That's what I'm afraid of. Oh, I see. That's what you're afraid yeah. of. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, right. Fire the quick fire question round. Very simple rules. Um, it's a, it's one or the other. No, no uh, ifs or buts. You have to be decisive. Game Think face. quickly. Game faces on. Uh, the questions are not prepared, so they might be rubbish. And I'm just going to try and make them up now. So, Ali Campbell. Yes. Alton Towers or Chessington? Alton Towers. Never Euro been to Star. Chessington. You've never been? No. Eurostar or Ferry? Ferry. Oh. I like the sea. Dolphins. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, donuts or cookies? Donuts. Um, cats or dogs? Dogs. Oh, said with such disdain for our cat friends. Um, nice long walk in the countryside or nice long sit by a fire and a board game? Can I do both? No. Long walk. Okay. Jack, any quick fire questions? Um, uh, Aladdin or Hercules? Aladdin. As a, as a Disney film. Aladdin. Oh, ooh, oh, no, that's hard. I mean, right, I like then. the music of Hercules, but I like... So the music of Hercules... But the genie the of Aladdin. Animation of Aladdin. Yeah. Right. Uh, Disney. No. Uh, DC or Marvel? Uh, I don't know what that's Batman. like. <laughs> so it's, it's Batman or Batman. Batman or Spider Man. Batman. Batman. DC. But yeah. oh, the old Batman with all the Biff Pow. Adam West. Batman. Yes. 90, with, the, with the what? <laughs> <laughs> all the classic punch noises. Oh, that's gone on the highlight reel. <laughs> well, I think you passed. <laughs> You passed the quick fire question round completely. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Mr. D? Um, no, other than it's been great to have you. Yeah, oh, it's thanks, been Sally. And we look chat. forward to seeing you on the streets or hearing you in our ears or seeing you on a stage or weighing into a drain uh, sometime in the not too distant future. All of those things At will once. be, well, yes, a multi sensory experience. Look out for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Sally. And uh, thanks for joining us on Bristol Prologue. Thanks for having me. Bristol Prologue is produced and hosted by Jack Drury and Andrew Kingston. For all inquiries, email bristolprologue at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bristol Prologue and subscribe via iTunes or your podcast provider. <laughs>